Psalm 89 in your Bibles. Is that a bit better? Okay, all, all good. Okay, Psalm 89 in your Bibles. This might be the last message. I've been really enjoying going through the Psalms. I hope you've been enjoying hearing from the Psalms as we go through the attributes of God. And uh, this will probably be the last message on this series through the Psalms. And today I want to talk about the immutability of God. Now the immutability if I can say it right, the immutability of God refers to the fact that God is faithful, okay? So we've gone through several attributes of God so far. Uh, we've talked about the Lord's omnipotence, which means God is what? Omnipotence? All? Powerful, good. We talked about his omniscience. God is all? All-knowing. Omnipresence. That's the easy one. God is? Everywhere present. Good. We've also talked about God's sovereignty. What does sovereignty mean? He controls everything. I have water, thanks. Okay, you can drink that. Okay, we talk about God's eternality. What does God? Okay, this is an easy one. God's eternal eternality mean? What's that mean? God is everlasting. Okay, good. I'm glad you used a different synonym for that one. And uh, then we talked about uh, His holiness. And what does that mean? He's holy. <laughs> That's probably the easiest way of expressing. But really, we didn't talk about uh, what it meant to be holy. We talked more about how we should respond to God's holiness, didn't we? This morning, I'd like to draw attention to an attribution of God that we are thankful for. But we don't mention it too often. And that is his immutability. And when we talk about his immutability, basically that means God does not change. When we mention the word change, it seems that change is all this world knows. Time changes. Seasons change. Weather patterns change, opinions change, generations change, ethics change, and morals change. People change. They change their minds, their, their attitudes, their beliefs. And all of these changes lead to a great deal of insecurity within all of us. All of us. Change unsettles everyone. When people act, are not sitting in the seats that they normally sit in, it unsettles me. Just for about 30 seconds. But the point is, you know, but we all get unsettled by change, don't we? We all do, every single one of us. So we all need this rock solid anchor, so to speak, or maybe an anchor that is connected to a rock, a, a solid rock that's not going to move, that's never going to shift with the sands of time. That rock, my dear brethren, is Jesus Christ. I'm glad to highlight the fact this morning that our God is immutable. He cannot change. His word has never changed. I am so... Uh, how, what word would I use? Um, I, I'm, many words come into my, word, to my mind except the right one. But I, I, I find it amazing to think. I'm amazed to think. It's not even the right word I want to think of. When people say, oh, God's word has changed. Where? Where? It hasn't changed. Brethren, there are like 7,000 different manuscripts out there in the Greek language for where, where we have the New Testament from. There's no change. Because we're, now there are a few corrupted manuscripts. And we all get that. We, we sort of isolate them. So we don't believe in them. But the vast majority of the, of the manuscripts completely agree. God's word hasn't changed. 
Although it was written 300 years after the fact. Huh? Have you ever been to the Chester and Beatty Library? I suggest you visit the Chester and Beatty Library because they have second century manuscripts. It wasn't written 300 years after the fact. You saw something on the History Channel that's not true. Do you understand what I'm saying? This book hasn't changed. God's word doesn't change. Can I hear an amen for that? Yeah. It hasn't changed. I know we live in a changing world, but our God doesn't change. His word has never changed. His word will never change. We need our God to be immutable. We need our God to never change. We cannot trust a God who is subject to change. Do you ever, you know, try to get directions from someone? They say, well, let's, you, you, first of all, you take a right. And you say, okay, can you go to do that again? And they say, well, first of all, you take a left. <laughs> I thought you said, first you take a right. Or you get a quote from someone. This is my favorite. How much to do that job? And they quote you. The next time they quote, now what was that quote again? And they add 500 to it. Where did that come from? Have you all been there? I've been there. We're asking twice. Yeah, we're asking twice. Write it down. When that, when that happened, I wrote it down. I, I saw, that's what we agreed, right? Absolutely. Seriously. People change. For our God never changes. His word never changes. We know it and we need to know that our God is faithful. Because someone who changes is not faithful. Oh, I'll be there. I promise. I promise I'll be there at 10 o'clock. Where are they? It's because people change. It's called human nature, right? Now, I know some people are more faithful than others. I'm glad for faithful people, aren't you? But people are only faithful because they're, they're reflecting the God who's faithful. He never changes. Brethren, I want to tell you something. What I'm going to talk about this morning... The older you get, the more important it is. The older you get, when you're young, you can sort of maneuver through change. It's all a bit of a roller coaster ride for you. But the older you get, you don't want to get on the roller coaster. You sort of want things to not change if they're true. What's true now is going to be true in 10 years' time or 20 years' time or 100 years' time. What was true in the last generation is true in, gener in this generation, no matter what people who change say. You with me here this morning. I'm not here to talk about change. I'm, not, I'm really not. I'm here to talk about a God who never changes. I'm here to talk about our God, the invisible God. Let's read Psalm 89, and uh, let's see how far we're going to get. I didn't actually specify how, how much I'm going to read, so let me just make a quick decision. And um, um, well, we'll just read the first four verses, I guess, and then we'll go to the Lord in prayer. Psalm 89. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Thy faithfulness shall thou establish in the very heavens. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn unto David my servant. Thy seed will I establish forever and build up thy throne to all generations. Take a break in the music. Let's hear it. Have an instrumental uh, play, instrumental play, instruments playing while we wait for the next verse. Okay? You have to say that. That's what it means. Pause. Think about that while the instruments play. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you so much that we can sing about you. What a blessing to hear those children upstairs singing. Lord, it blesses my heart. They're singing to a God who never changes. Lord God, I pray as we look at this uh, character quality of yours, of your immutability, may we leave here rock solid, trusting in a God who never changes.
And may that plot out the rest of our lives in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Number one, I want to share with you. Number one, God's faithfulness is a reason to sing. We read the first four verses. I won't read them again. But when we sing, we sing about God's faithfulness. I, and I, I think about um, that song, Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning in with thee. I won't sing it. Aren't you glad about that? But there's another God. There's another song that kids like to sing. And my God is a righteous God. You know that one? Some of you may know that one. My God is a faithful God. My God is a holy God. With that third one, my God is a faithful God. He will always stand by me. Praise God, he never changes. Praise God, he's always there. You know, we were singing with the teens yesterday. Some of you may have seen the video. Edith likes to sing when she's recording. But that's another story whether people are singing or not. That was a bit of fun. You have to look at the video. She did such a great job. And uh, it was such a blessing. But you know, we were singing uh, in between the raindrops as we went on our walk at the, up, up one of those hills in Glenlock. And uh, we sang that song, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Where sinners plunge beneath that flood lose most of their guilty stains. No, sorry, I missed that. Where sinners plunge from beneath that flood, there's all their guilty stains. Aren't you glad Jesus washed away all your sin when he washed away your sin? He didn't leave anything behind. He's faithful, isn't he? I think the Lord was pleased with our singing. It's an important thing to sing. You know, Ethan wrote a song to express God's faithfulness. Look at verse 1. It says that at the title of this hymn, this is, this is inspired. This title is inspired. God put this there. Maskell of Ethan the Ezraite. And then he goes on to say, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. His hymn that, 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 that Ethan wrote, <coughs> excuse me, to express God's faithfulness was this Psalm 89. This is all Ethan wrote in scripture, that is. And you'll notice that the title of this Psalm is Maskell of Ethan the Ezraite. Maskell means instructive song. I'm writing this song to instruct you. You know, music is written with words, and the words are almost always written with a message. And the message is almost always to instruct you about something, to teach you about something. Be careful what you're saying. Take a look at the words. Make sure you're singing what you believe. Does that make sense? I think that's what happened in the last generation. And the reason why the last generation lost their children is because they were singing about stuff they didn't grow up believing. But they sang it anyway because it sounds good, right? Then their kids sing it and say, oh, we believe this. Be careful because, you know, we want to sing the right things. Our, the words have to be the right words. And this psalm was written to teach us that God is immutable. God doesn't change. God is faithful. Even though we change, he does not. Therefore, we can praise him and brethren, we can trust him. We can trust someone who says what they mean and mean what they say. That's our God. So this writer we're talking about, Ethan the Ezraite, who was he? According to 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 31, Ethan was a very wise man in the days of David, and only Solomon exceeded him for wisdom. So he was a wise man. He was a Levite. He was appointed to temple worship, according to 1 Chronicles. He specifically was a singer. So the writer of this psalm was a singer. He loved to sing. I have boys like that in our home. They walk around the place singing. I'm studying for my sermon, and I have to text them, please stop singing, I'm trying to study. Now, I study most of the time at the church, but I do my final study on Saturday night as I go over everything. No singing after 8 o'clock as a room in our home. They don't know that rule, they forget that rule. 
I say Ethan was one of those guys, just walk around the place singing all the time. He was a singer, he, was, he worked in the percussion section of the National Orchestra. He was in the National Symphony, Symphony Orchestra of Israel in Jerusalem. He worked alongside Asaph, Asaph wrote 12 of our Psalms. I actually didn't realize that until I was studying for this message. You've seen the Psalm of Asaph, you've read that right before? Asaph wrote 12 Psalms, that's a lot. Heman was also listed among the wisest men in Israel. So, so um, Ethan worked alongside these men and Jeduthun. And Jeduthun was a chief musician according to Psalm 62 and Psalm 77 verse one. So these men worked a lot with Ethan. Now, Ethan, Ethan, should I say, knew the exaltation of mercy is worth singing about. When God is going to have mercy on us, that's worth singing about. Everyone who's been saved knows what I'm talking about. We've been saved by grace. The Bible says, by, by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The Bible says it's a gift of God. If you've been saved, if you've been forgiven, you've been given a free gift. As I gave that girl, like, that leaf like that, she was passing me out this, these new ice, I don't know, these drinks. Um, they were like, it's from an ice cream shop. It's like a sweet drink with these bubbles that sort of like burst in your mouth. It's a bit strange. <laughs> okay, I'll try it. So she gave me a gift of that. I gave her a gift of one of these. And then I told her about the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you've been saved, it's because you received his gift. You didn't work for it. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not of works. God doesn't want our works. God doesn't want our efforts to try and make our way to heaven. They're not good enough. It's like your kids saying, Dad, I know you got a lot of bills. You need a new car. You need to fix up the house. You have all these things. Dad, I want to help you with this. And he takes out his two euros and says, Dad, here, this is two. And bless his heart, your kids might do that, and your heart is moved by it. But two euros isn't going to go very far, is it? And there's nothing we can do that's going to go far before God to work our way to heaven because it's, it's a work of grace that saves us. It's the blood of Jesus that saves us. It's the power of God that saves us. It was the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that saves us. Nothing else saves. Nothing else does. It's mercy. It's a free gift. We all deserve punishment for our sins. We all deserve hell. But those who came to Christ in repentance and contrition, you know, contrition means repentance, doesn't it? It's like brokenness, doesn't it? Receive grace. It's a free gift. And it's a free gift. It's something you didn't earn, something you didn't work for, something you didn't deserve. I've shared with you together. I've shared with you about our, our neighbor, and he's been. He's, our neighbors are really good neighbors, and and uh, they helped us take down a lot of trees. Brother Willie helped with some trees, but he's a work. He's a full time worker. You know, he can't come up and cut down all my trees. Although I wouldn't mind if he did, but he couldn't. You know. So anyway, our neighbor has all the equipment, has a tractor, he has all these things, and took down all our trees. I, I, shared with, I shared that with you already. But our neighbor also shares our lane. And our lane was getting destroyed by all the floods of water coming down from the springs and from everything else. And, and uh, I did some things to help the source um, of, of the rain to stop. And I don't want to go into the details of it. I'll tell you privately about it later if you want. 
you know, because it was sort of like, yeah, it's really interesting. But anyway, but our neighbor then said, okay, I'm going to dig up the lane, I'm going to fix some stuff, and I'm going to tarmac the lane. I said, well, how much? I want to help. I want to help with the, with the, with the tarmacking. Tarmacking is a fortune. But I have at least offered, I don't, I don't have the money to help, but I want to help. Do you understand what I'm saying? He says, no, don't worry about it. No, I said, I want to help. You can't do all this. You can't pay for all this. He said, no, the guy owes me a favor. Don't worry about me. I would call that grace, wouldn't you? And I'm thinking, how can I do more stuff for my neighbor? I want to, you know, there's some people who have stuff and they, they can do stuff and you can't do. You understand what I'm saying? It's called grace. That's our God for us. He showed grace for us. We can't pay him back for saving our souls from hell. We can't pay him back for dying on the cross. All we can do is express appreciation and thank him and live for him with all of our hearts. That's all we can do, right? Still doesn't pay him back. It's called grace. I'm glad for grace. It's favor. It's mercy. And God's mercy is worth singing about. And look, and it says here, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. Ethan was getting this, God's mercy and God's faithfulness. It goes on to say, I will make known his faithfulness to all generations. God's faithfulness is a reason to sing. But number two, God's faithfulness is backed up by his strength. Look at verse eight. O Lord God of hosts, who is a strong Lord unto thee, like unto thee? Or to thy faithfulness round about thee. Thou rulest the raging of the sea when the waves thereof arise, thou stillest them. Thou hast broken Rahab in pieces as one that is slain. Thou hast scattered thine enemies with thine strong arm. Verse 13. Thou hast a mighty arm, strong as thy hand, and high is thy right hand. I'm here to tell you this morning when it comes to power and strength, God has no equal, God has no competitors. I follow a, a, a football team. Don't tell my wife I use football illustration here. I know again. But I follow a football team that has competitors. Manchester United has lots of competitors. I also follow a rugby team, a national rugby team that has competitors. We're still ranked number one in the world. But we have competitors. Watch out, France. Do you understand? But I also follow a God who has no competitors. There is no one like unto me. There's no one. When I think of power, when I think of strength, what is more powerful than a tornado? I love watching. Do you ever watch the storm chasers things? I love watching them. See those guys in there, in their machines that look like UFOs on the inside of them, and they're following around, chasing after these storms, and these tornadoes are going, they're, they're nuts. Those guys are nuts. I mean, they could get swallowed up by the tornado, but it's so interesting to watch. And this, this guy is, is, is following the tornado, and, and, and there was a tornado in 1989 that went through Oklahoma City. It had wind speeds of more than 300 miles per hour. It was a mile wide. It destroyed 4,000 homes. It went on for 36 miles, and it did so much damage. 36 poor people were killed. That was called A9. The twister was called A9, this, this tornado. It was called Tornado A, and it was like 14 of them. This was A9. It was the, the ninth of the 14 that did all the damage. Powerful. It's powerful. Tornadoes are powerful. But I look at my Bibles here. It says in verse 8, O Lord God of hosts, who is strong, Lord, like unto thee? Or to thy faithfulness round about thee, thou rulest the raging of the sea. When the waves arise, thou stillest the peace be still. The tornadoes can, can, can fly around God and just say, okay, you're done. And just, just dies. 
God is powerful. And those of you who have a relationship with God know what I'm talking about. Like the times when we've gone out to do evangelism, we said, God, we believe you want us to do this. Tell the rain to stop. And it's lashing down when we're in the bus and we get outside the bus and it stops, the sun comes out. Get back on the bus again and then it lashes again. Who stilled the rain? He who tells all creation to do what they're, what they're supposed to do. Do you understand what I'm saying? We have a powerful God. But the sea is also emblematic of Gentiles. But in this case, I don't think it is the Gentiles here. It's, uh, one commentator has said it might refer to the Red Sea because it talks about Rahab here. Look at it here. Thou has broken Rahab in pieces. And you're thinking, that poor lady, I thought she saved, saved the spies. Oh, that's Rahab. That's not, this isn't Rahab. This is Rahab, okay? We just use the English language and we think it all sounds like Rahab. No, two different words, two different meanings. Rahab is referring, some believe, to Egypt. Picture of Egypt, not Rahab. Don't think about Rahab at all in, the, in, in Joshua. This is a different uh, uh, picture here. This is Egypt. Do you look about the, you, you look at the scriptures here, verse 10, that has broken the world power, Rahab, in pieces. The world power can lift up its ugly head. It can bear down on God's people. God says, no, you're done. And it can finish it. Egypt started the fight, but God finished it. Do you understand what I'm saying? We worship a powerful God. God's mercy is worth singing about. And his power is worth. It's, it's backed up by his power. And when it comes to power and, and, and strength, there's... His, his character, the strength of his character has no equal. Look at verse 14. Justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne. Mercy and truth shall go before thy face. Blessed is the people that know the joyful sound. They shall walk, O Lord, in the light of thy countenance. And I could read some more as it goes on. But brethren, we're looking at justice and judgment. When it comes to character, God is the only one who knows what's right and what's wrong. Brethren, we live in a world that's shifting with, with the sands of time. And the people don't know what's right and wrong anymore. They don't know. But God knows what's right and what's wrong because he's never changed. We worship an immutable God who is faithful, who will never change. And if he changes, we're in trouble. We can't trust him anymore. We can't trust governments. We can't trust religions. We can't trust this. We can't trust that. I can tell you one thing, we can always trust the word of God. Amen. His word will never change. We can trust the God of heaven. Because he never changes. Jesus Christ is not a shiftable character who means a different time and different things in different ages. He's the same person, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. And what he says is right, and he will have the final say when it comes to righteousness. It's a lot of wondering of what's righteous and what's right anymore. And I tell you, I said it on a Wednesday night and I'll say it on a Sunday morning. If you want to know what's right, take a look at what the world does and reverse it completely. 180 degrees and you'll know what's right. Because what they call right is actually wrong. What they call wrong is actually right. That's how you know the difference. And if you want to find truth, just go to the scriptures. Compare everything with the word of God. Because he never changes. And the righteous shall rejoice in his triumphant battle cry, look at verse 15. Blessed is the people that know the joyful sound. 
And they shall walk, O Lord, in the light of thy countenance. And that many believe that's not with the sound of battle, when, when, when the victory is there. And I'll tell you, the victory is ours, because verse 17 tells us, For thou art the glory of their strength. God is our strength, isn't he? And in thy favor our horn shall be exalted. And the horn is referring to, it's a symbol of power. It's a reminder that it's God's strength and not ours. Every victory is his. Every soul saved is God's work. We read about it with our missionaries. Every soul that got saved is because of the work of God. Every believer baptized, that's the work of God. Every sinner set free from the bondage of sin is a testimony to the strength of God. It's His power. It's His glory. It's all His. Now this is where it gets very personal. Now I've been talking generally about the Lord. Now we're going to get personal. Number one, God's faithfulness is a reason to sing. Number two, it's backed up by strength, by His strength. But number three, God's faithfulness was extended to David. God's faithful promises were first made to Abraham. Those same promises then were extended to his son Isaac, then his son Jacob, then all Jacob's 12 sons. And for the 12 sons of, of Jacob are now the 12 tribes of Israel, making up the land of Israel, the people of Israel, should I say. Specific promises were made to the tribe of Judah, one of the 12 tribes, and then of, those, uh, of Judah came David, King David. And God chose David. Look at verse 19. Then thou spakest in a vision to thy holy one and saidest, I have laid help upon one that is mighty. I have exalted one chosen out of the people. I have found David, my servant. With my holy oil have I anointed him. And as you read through 1 Samuel, you, you read about David being anointed by God, by the prophet. And he became God's anointed. But David is not the only one that's been anointed. He's not the only one. He's been chosen. You are God's chosen if you repented of your sin. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have been chosen by God and he has saved you from your sins. And if you've been saved, you've been anointed with oil and the oil is the Holy Spirit. If you've been saved, you rec you've received the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God dwells within you. You're anointed with God. By, you're chosen by God and anointed by God. God chose David, but then God established David. Look at verse 21. He strengthened David, with whom my hand shall be established. My arm also shall strengthen him. If you've been saved, Christ took you out of your old life and gave you a brand new life in him. He's given you a new heart. He's given you a new beginning. He's given you a new hope. He's given you a new expectation. Psalm 40 verse 2, he brought me up also out of a horrible pit. Do you remember those days when you were in that horrible pit? I remember being at that horrible pit. But thank God he lifted me up out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. And he, and he gave me a brand new start. That's Jesus, isn't it? That's the faithful one who never changes. God did that for David. If you've been saved, he did it for you. No matter what you've been through, no matter what you're going through, and there may be people here this morning, and you're going through trials, and you won't tell anyone what's going on in your life, or there may be people on the, here that you would tell someone, but you don't know who to tell, or there may be people in here, you're saying, I'm not going through a trial, but there's a trial coming your way, or maybe you've just been through a trial. Somebody said to me once, he said, you're either going through something, or you're going to go through something in the future. It's true, isn't it? And it's, but, so this applies to everyone I'm telling you, everyone in this room, 
No matter where you're at, no matter what you're going through, God will strengthen you. And he will strengthen you. Because it says in the Bible, with whom my hand shall be established, my arm also shall strengthen him. You just need to hold on to Jesus. Hold on to the one who will never fail you. Hold on to the one who won't let you go. Hold on to the one who is faithful. God chose David, he strengthened him, and he promised David protection. Look at verse 22. Look at verse 22. The enemy shall not exact upon him. That's talking about um, interest. That's talking about abuse. Um, nor the sons of wickedness afflict him. And I will beat down his foes before his face and plague them that hate him. But my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him. And in his, sorry, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. The enemy might want to take advantage of us. The enemy may want to rip us to pieces. That's the devil's job. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. And I was just thinking yesterday, he's not happy just to kick us when we're down. He wants to keep on kicking us. That's the devil. But I've got a God in heaven who's stronger than him. I've got a God in heaven who is powerful, who's strong, who's immutable, who will not change no matter what we're going through, no matter what we're facing. And sometimes we can face spiritual oppression. Sometimes we can face emotional affliction. Sometimes we can face physical abuse. And I don't know who's going through, but maybe there are people in this room who are going through physical abuse. I don't know what's going on in people's lives. Unless you tell me, but I want to tell you this. And I don't know if this is happening, but I will say this. That God is your strength. And he'll never let you down. He never will. He promised God protection. The enemy may want to tear us up and, and down and rip us to shreds everywhere. Look at verse 23. And I will beat down his foes before his face and plague them that hate him. Praise God for his promises. We have a defender. His name is Jesus. David was promised protection and God has given us promises too. If God be for us, who can be against us? It's not that things don't go wrong. Some people use that as a blanket thing. Oh, nothing's going to go wrong in your life. Once you trust Jesus Christ, everything will be great. That's not what it's saying. It just means that when things do go wrong in our life, we have someone who's weak to turn to, and he'll help us, and he'll lift us up, and he'll lift us out of it, and he'll set our feet upon a rock, and he'll establish our goals. He'll be there for us. Things do go wrong, but brethren, when things go wrong, we have an advocate. We have an advocate. God promised favor to David. And you know that favor would come to the Messiah. That's what verse 25 refers to. I will set his hand also in the sea and his right hand in the rivers. That's referring to the Messiah reign. Um, we'll talk about it another time. But God promised favor to David and God promised to stand by him. Look at verse 26. He shall cry unto me, Thou art my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. Aren't you glad that you have someone you can call father? Again, I don't know your situation, but you may have somebody on earth and you just can't call your father. You may have somebody on earth you just don't get along with. You may have someone who's just not been that right role model to you. And I don't want to tell you my story, but maybe you have your story. But I want to tell you something. There's always someone you can call father. I'm glad we have a father in heaven who's a perfect role model. And by the way, I'm a father and I get it. I fail my children at times. I know I do. But no matter what, every one of us We've been saved of a perfect father. His name is the Lord, the Father of heaven. And the Bible goes on to say, we're trying to make this personal, brethren. That's why I'm talking about this. He shall cry unto me, Thou art my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. 
also I will make him my firstborn, which talks about the preeminence um, of giving honor. It's not necessarily someone who's born first, but someone who gives great honor. I will, I, I will make him my firstborn higher than the kings of the earth. What a blessing. Is that not highly, highly being blessed and highly being favored of God? My mercy will I keep for him forever, evermore, and my covenant shall stand fast with him. Those are promises. Makes me think of the New Testament promises in Luke 11. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask him of a fish, will he for a, of a fish give him a serpent? We know the answer now. How much more shall your heavenly father? Romans 8.32 He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all? God promised to stand by David. And by extension, God has promised to stand by us. Do you believe that this morning? He's the faithful God. He doesn't move. He doesn't change. He's not going anywhere. Praise God. God promises. God's promises are sure and steadfast. Look at verse 34. My covenant will I not break, nor after that thing is gone out of my lips, nor alter, should I say, nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. What have I sworn by my holiness? I will not lie unto David. God does not lie. Man lies. Man fails. Man makes promises. that, And sometimes they make promises they have no intention of keeping. We have a God in heaven who believes us in that. When he says something, that's it. He does not speak rashly and does not make mistakes. He never looks for an opportunity to alter his word or go back on it. Sometimes when people make promises, they say, how can I get out of this? God doesn't look to get out of anything. He says what he means. He means what he says. The heavens could testify of God's faithfulness. Look at verse 37. It shall be established forever as the moon and as a faithful witness in heaven. Say that. Another instrumental break. Think about that. The verity of God's promises do not just refer to salvation. They refer to every promise he makes, every word that comes out of his mouth. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of his mouth. Every promise God made to David, he could take to the bank and live on the interest. Collect the interest and live on it. God's faithfulness was extended to David. God's faithfulness is a reason to sing. Is backed up by his strength. It was extended to David. But fourthly, God's faithfulness becomes questionable at times. Now we're really getting human, right? God's faithfulness becomes questionable at times. What I said, we'd love to hear. But if that's all I said, I'd be leaving you without a large piece of the puzzle in our lives. Isn't that true? Look at verse 38, brethren. Verse 38 in the Bible. But thou hast cast off and abhorred. Thou hast been wroth with thine anointed one. Thou hast made a void the covenant of thy servant. Thou hast profaned his glory by casting to the ground. And do you know what David was saying? 
I'm sitting in the services. I hear the preacher speak. I hear the people speak about the faithfulness of God. I, I hear my, my, my musicians sing about the faithfulness of God. I, I, I hear about the, the, the Levites and, and the priests speaking about the faithfulness of God. But that's not my experience. That's not what I'm going through right now. I feel like God's let me down. That's how David was feeling. And I know the Bible says that God's faithful, but I'm not feeling it right now. That's not what I'm going through right now. Brethren, there was a reason. God was actually angry at David. Look at verse 38. God was angry. Thou hast cast off and abhorred. Thou hast been wroth with an anointed. God was actually angry at David. David transgressed. He crossed the line. He provoked the Lord to wrath. The sin here alluded to is most likely his sin with Bathsheba. When David saw this other woman and he liked her and he committed adultery with her. The problem is she was married. Married to one of his faithful men. So David said, well, that's okay. I'll try and make him drunk and get him to lie with her and all that type of stuff. And he wouldn't do it. The woman became pregnant, so David needed a solution. Got this, my, one of my faithful men, his, his wife, I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll kill him in battle. That's exactly what David did. And then took her as his wife. God was angry. God was angry. You know, God does get angry. God was so angry with David that he, he took his throne away. Look what it says here in, in verse 39. Thou hast made void the covenant of thy servant. Thou hast profaned his crown by casting it to the ground. And, you know, men took David's crown, if you like, and cast it to the ground. Or maybe that was a picture. I don't really know what verse 39 means. But it was definitely taken off David's head. And scholars believe that was when Absalom came and took. Absalom was David's son revolted against his own father and took his crown. And you might say it was better, God took away his crown, it's better than taking away his life, because David really could have died for that sin. God spared him. Brethren, I'm here to just think about it for a second. Let's be real. God gets angry. God gets angry when we sin. Now we're parents Many of us in this room, when we get it, our kids can do things that really get us angry at times, right? When our children are disobedient or disrespectful or stubborn and just won't listen, parents get upset. God is a father. And when he sees his children doing wrong like that and won't listen to them, God gets angry. Now, there are some that think that God never gets angry with his, his, his children. Once you're saved, you're always saved. You just sing and just praise the Lord. And God is always happy with you. No matter what you go through, you're on your way to heaven. All your sins are underneath the blood. And I'm just like, which Bible are you reading? The people actually think that way don't really read the Bibles at all. Because that's not what the Bible teaches at all. God is real. God is righteous. God is faithful. And we need him to be that way. We need that from him. When a child does wrong, when they're raised in the right type of home, they need to fear their parents' displeasure. Again, our society is 180 degrees of what it should be. It's the opposite of completely. But it gives you a healthy fear of God when you're raised that way. I can tell you that. Because when I was a kid, 
if I did what was wrong and I knew Dad knew, I was like, I was sweating bullets. I was. And my kids were raised that way. It's a good way to be raised because it helps you to realize there's someone greater than you and you're always accountable. It really primed me to having a right relationship with God, having a healthy relationship with God. The Bible says in Ephesians 4.30, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. You don't want to grieve the Lord. Hebrews 10.31, It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And when parents are being stirred to anger, children should be concerned. Now, I'm not justifying uh, parents being abusive. I will not justify that. That's wrong. I think we all get that. We all understand that, right? Abuse is always wrong. But we have to have a, a reverential fear of God when we do something to offend him. That's only appropriate. God was angry with David. And then what happened? God then removed his protection from David. Look at verse 40. That has broken down all his hedges. That has brought his stronghold, should I say, to ruin. And, and uh, verse 41, God removed his favor from David. All that passed by the way spoiled him. He is reproached to his neighbors and a, a laughing stock, so to speak. And God removed his blessing from David, verse 42 and 43. And you can read this in 1 Samuel, by the way. But verse 42 and 43, that has set up the right hand of thy his adversaries that has made all his enemies to rejoice that has also turned the edge of his sword and has not made him to stand in the battle that's a very difficult place to be at now David had two options he was in a really bad place he had sinned against God probably with Bathsheba adultery and murder it was cynical it was cynical wasn't it it was sinister it was just wrong it was wicked it was wrong and now he was in trouble with God. He had two options. He could live in defeat and distress, watching his whole kingdom and everything fall apart. Or else he could get right back to where he was before he fell from grace. Now remember at the beginning of this message, we said God never changes. Aren't you glad about this? This is one of those times you need to know God never changes, okay? And if he was to get right with God, he had to repent of his sin and retrace his steps. The only way back to blessing and favor of God, again, was to get back to where he was before he fell. And as David sought to get back, then he asked God, Lord, where are your promises? Look at verse 49. It says here in verse 49, Lord, where are thy former loving kindnesses, which thou swearest unto David in thy truth? Now, I have to say, that's probably not David saying that because it's written, this psalm was written by Ethan the Ezraite. But I know David was praying those prayers because we read his other Psalms. He's a Lord, where are you? Where are you? I need you right now. You know, my friend, you remember we're just dust. David was seeking the Psalms, sorry, sorry the, 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 the promises of God and, and, and the help from God. And, and I look through the Bible here. And aren't you glad there are 150 Psalms in this Bible that are fulfilled with promises of God? When you sin, when you falter, when you fail, there's hardly a better place in the Bible to go than the Psalms. When you're hurt, when you're discouraged, when you're brokenhearted, it's the place to go for, it's the go-to place for comfort, isn't it? 
The Psalms are hymns filled with promises of God. And as I said last week, we don't know what the music sounds like, but we know what the words say. And brethren, I love the thing I love about the Psalms. The Psalms were written by people just like us. For people just like us. It's human stuff in there, isn't it? They're relatable, they're down to earth, they're human. And they're also filled with hope because they're filled with promises. The Psalms have a way of taking you where you're at and taking you to a place where you need to be. And do you know where they lead you? They lead you right to the heart of God. And when we begin to question God's faithfulness, we have the book of Psalms and set it straight. God never changes. Issues it's us. We're the ones that did wrong or were hurt or were offended or got discouraged or got depressed or whatever. You can go through that whole list or got cold inside or got distracted, whatever. Whatever took you away from where the place where you're at to be, the place where you're supposed to be, you, if you allow God to search you, he'll show you where it was. But he'll also show you how to get there, get back there again. Which leads me to the final point. God's faithfulness is sure no matter what we're going through. That's because his faithfulness is based on his character and God will never change. He's immutable. He's never going to change. And that's why this psalm begins and ends with praise. Look at verse 1. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. The psalmist knew what he was going to say. He just began with singing. At the end, blessed be the Lord, verse 52, blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. <laughs> so we saw this morning that God is faithful and his faithfulness is backed up by his strength. And then we also saw in his faithfulness God made promises to David. And he's done the same for us, hasn't he? Are you reading those promises God made? Are you reading them? Are you claiming those promises? Are you making those promises your own? Like the testimony that was given in Sunday school class. You get the real word of God, make it your own. Make it your own. Are you living by promises? Where are you at in your journey with the Lord? Are you rejoicing with him? Or are you struggling? with him. We also saw that David fell into sin and after falling into sin he questioned God's faithfulness. When we fall into sin, brethren, there are consequences. We have to just be honest with ourselves and say there's always consequences. You can't blame somebody else. If you fell into sin, you've got to take ownership. We reap what we sow. And God removed his favor and blessing from David and I'm sure what David went through seemed like an eternity. When the father disciplines his children, it seems like it's never going to end. But finally we saw God is faithful and that's never going to change. It's never going to change. Because he's immutable, his promises are sure and steadfast. And when he's finished with his dealings, listen to this, he's going to bring us back to where we need to be. Now we can make this a longer process or we can make it a shorter process. I like shortcuts, amen? amen. Especially for legitimate shortcuts. Let's allow the Lord to work in our lives. 
David did, and that's why in the midst of struggle, the psalmist could end by wholehearted blessing. Blessing the Lord. Again, let me ask you a question. Where are you at in your journey? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. We'll, we'll have time of reflection.